All right, welcome back to the Fridge Guys podcast. I think this is episode seven, I believe. Um, got a special guest in house tonight, um, Colby Wood. He is the the owner and brewmaster of White Elm Brewing Company. How you doing? I'm doing real good. Uh, really happy and uh, I'm delighted that you're here tonight. And you show up to my door with couple of big boy crowlers here. <laughs> well, I couldn't come empty-handed now, could I? Sure. Well, I mean, this is Fridge Guys. I don't ever ask anybody to bring beer, but it's always appreciated. And uh, the, the couple of crowlers that you brought are, are pretty exciting beers that I'm excited to drink. Well, good. Cool. So, um, he brought uh, Year Two, which phenomenal, phenomenal stout. I, year One was so good, and then I was like, what's Year Two going to be? It's even better. <laughs> Well, thank you. And, uh, and well, it's, uh, you have released this this week, right? Not at the brewery, a special sneak peek, sneak peek, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, I'm pretty bad at, like, not showing my hand. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, and it, it, it was an event that's pretty near and dear to my heart with Stout Fest, uh, um, hosted by the Happy Raisin here in Lincoln. You know, love Matt, and he does a ton for us. So um, I, I literally... Uh, trudged through the snow, got down to the brewery and packaged that beer about two hours before they opened their doors. So, uh, but it was ready. So I figured it, it, it was uh, fitting that we were able to um, to get a keg over to them. That's yeah, right. And, it, and the beer we're talking about is Chomperado 2019. Correct. Is this barrel-aged or is this non-barrel-aged? It is barrel-aged. So, you know, we were, we were getting a little bit of brand confusion. Like the original one that we did was like a blend of some barrel-aged um, stout as well as a uh, fresh stout um, on the same adjuncts, the Wahio chilies, uh, cinnamon, vanilla, and cocoa nibs. Uh, then we, about, about six months later, released a uh, barrel-aged Chomperado bourbon barrel-aged version of it. Um, this is the bourbon barrel-aged version, so it is a blend of... Um, <coughs> two eight-year wild turkey barrels, an eight-year uh, Four Roses barrel, and a four-year Buffalo Trace barrel. Um, kind of got, uh, you know, a, a little of the whiskey characteristics of it. Each of them blended them to, um, to what we would hope would, uh, w- would really make the bourbon kind of pop in it. Um, so w- w- with that said, we've now gone to non-barrel-aged version, um, which is in the tanks right now, um, and it might actually be available for Chomperado Day on the 26th, uh, is called Champ, um, <laughs> and, and uh, like the, uh, the, the adult cartoon dork I am, um, I made a cryptozoologist uh, joke with it, <laughs> so the can has fucking plesiosauruses on it, <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're familiar with the uh, lake monster in Lake Champlain. Yeah. Um, so, so that's Champ. Uh, Chomperado will always be the bourbon barrel-aged variant. Um, we do have uh, Cafe Rado that's releasing that same day, so Chomperado. Uh, we doubled up on the vanilla for it, doubled up on the cocoa nib, as well as added toddy from, uh, from Cultiva Coffee. Uh, and then uh, we have, down the line, we're going to have a couple of other uh, different barrel takes on it. We'll have apple brandy as well as rum. Oh, wow. That's... It's such a great beer, and it's so crazy that it's Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> You're making this amazing beer right here in Lincoln. Well, thank you. Yeah. So, um, so this is the Fridge Guys podcast. Um, you know, this I just invite uh, my friends and, uh, and and people that like to drink beer down here. It's kind of my uh, my man cave uh, recording studio, 
and uh, we open up some beers. Uh, talk, just to kind of talk about craft beer scene. I'll, I'll, I actually have a list of questions here I wanted to ask you. So okay, cool. Um, I'm gonna crack open this first beer. This is Neon Simcoe um, Double Dry Hopped IPA from Shared by Side Project. I've never had this. It's a seven percent double IPA. <laughs> sounds pretty good. It does. It sounds lovely. But uh, before we get into any of these stouts, I wanted to at least get a little hops in here. I'll pass that over to you. Thank you, sir. Have you ever had anything from uh, from Shared by Side Project? I, I don't believe so. I, um, you know, like I was telling you off the mic, I, like my, um, my knowledge of the craft beer scene at large, like, it pretty well ended in 2013, 2014. <laughs> uh, I kind of got stuck down my own little rabbit hole. And uh, and so, uh, you know, the occasional opportunity that I get to come up for air and try something new is always uh, very well enjoyed. Yep, this is just 100% uh, Simcoe, um, double dry hopped. So That's really nice. Yep, not too bad. It's not overly hazy or anything like that. It's got a pretty good nose on it. Um, so let me get into a few questions. Um, sure. So are you originally from Nebraska? I am. Uh, born and raised in Denton, Nebraska. I graduated high school from Crete um, and uh, went, uh, went to college here in Lincoln for a year before transferring out. Moved, uh, kind of moved all over the country from that point. So uh, spent a couple of weeks basically um, borderline hitchhiked my way to, um, to Monmouth, Illinois. Um, from there, earlier Kentucky, right across the river from Cincinnati. From there, D.C., spent some time in D.C., uh, moved back for a little while uh, to Lincoln before um, moving to Providence, Rhode Island. A couple years back in Lincoln, and then Denver for approximately the last 10. Oh, really? So, yeah, kind of uh, kind of kicked around a little bit everywhere. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> that's a lot of moving around. Uh, you know, that's that's like the uh, uh, that's the joy of being you know young, single, uh, and blissfully broke. You know, <laughs> I had like <laughs> I had an old Jeep Wrangler. Everything that I owned would fit in a Tupperware container that like set with the back seat flipped up. I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that allow you just kind of freedom. Yeah, it's a good thing to have when you're, you know, a, a restless uh, late teen, early 20s person, so. Awesome. So, you know, moving around, were you brewing beer all the time, or? Um, I started, um, my, my actually, my first introduction to uh, brewing beer, um, I, I went to uh, a college in Providence called Johnston Wales University. It's a culinary school, and we had a, um, a course now. The way the courses were structured there, it was nine days, uh, basically um, two consecutive four-day weeks and then an additional day, and that was a, that was a class, but it was a 10-hour day each day. Uh, so we didn't actually get to see the whole brewing process through. We did brewing and winemaking, um, and like that was the time where all of a sudden it wasn't this just like sealed door alchemy, like, oh, I see how they do that. I might be able to do it. Uh, so when I moved back to Nebraska, I started home brewing. That would have been, oh, 2003, 
Yeah. So you said the culinary, so you did, did you do a lot of cooking and stuff like that before? I, I did. That was uh, that was my career path all the way through. So when I was in Denver, um, I, I ended up becoming a partner in a group of Irish pubs, but my background was definitely on the, uh, the back-of-house side of things. So, um, so yeah, cook. Um, I was sort of our de facto uh, EC, you know, traveled between locations when we lost kitchen managers, kind of. Yeah, oversaw the kitchen process in, in uh, four pubs. Awesome. I did not know that about you. So you started brewing, homebrew in 2003. So yep. what are we, fifth, 16 years into the process now of yeah. brewing? Yeah. What was the first one? really old. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you saw my oldest, and we just went to high school <laughs> uh, orientation night the other night. So if you oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. You, you don't have somebody going to high school yet, so. No, I started very late on the procreation <laughs> side of things. So, like, I, I was in my I was in my thirties when I had my first daughter. Well, I was nineteen, but I just, <laughs> just had one two years ago, and I'm in my thirties too. So, there's room for for growth there. <laughs> You've got like a generational game going on. <laughs> pretty pretty much. Um, what was the first beer that you ever you? Uh, I knocked out an alt beer uh, out of a, like an extract kit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, didn't have the patience to see the thing through for a full <laughs> week, right? And, you know, got it into bottles. Um, like, I think I fermented for a week. Got it into bottles, and, like, the second day I'm testing it. By, like, the third day, it's got a little bit of gas on it. And I mowed through the, like, you know, 55 bottles or whatever you net in a matter of, like, a couple of days, you know, just so proud of it, handing six packs to everybody I had. Um, brewed an Imperial Stout off the kit after that, and then, like, got two in, got, you know, got ballsy, decided to make up my own recipe, um, and, and, and there started a, a, a backward slide for, you know, a good, like, six months <laughs> of just making trash beer, but, <laughs> you know, it, it was all fun. You, you weren't following the, uh, the brew-by-book recipes then, or... Uh, no, no. <laughs> you know, I had done it twice successfully, um, so I knew better. Right? Sure. <laughs> but during that time, you're still working kitchens and restaurants, stuff like that. Yep, yep. Did that. Uh, also bartended. You know, I bartended at Cliff's Lounge for oh, yeah? for a couple of years. Yeah, back when it was on 12th Street still. Hmm. So, what made you decide to to take the leap and and become a a, a brewer? <laughs> And, you know, it, <coughs> excuse me, it started in uh, 2006. Um, I, you know, I, I had cooked and bartended. I decided, hey, I, I, I want to become a professional brewer. I'm young. Um, I'm going to move to Denver, pack up everything that I own, head off to Denver, um, and just knock on doors till somebody lets me, like, you know, clean trench drains or, you know, whatever I need to do to kind of, like, get that, uh, that foot in the door. As it turns out, I was one of like several thousand people who was doing that at a time when there really weren't all that many craft brewers. Uh, that 2006? Yeah. 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 There was so like, what, less than 2,000 maybe? Nationally, yeah. And yeah. Y you know, in Denver, there was like seven. Oh, and now there's like, what, 60? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, at least. Yeah. It, and so. Um, you know, I, I went around Denver, uh, Denver, Boulder, Fort Collins, um, handed out resumes, tried to meet everybody I could, um, you know, got stonewalled for almost three months, <laughs> started running out of money, applying for any bartending job I could get, um, got a 
position as a front of house manager in a standalone Irish pub. Um, and, and through uh, just showing up in terrible hiring practices by the <laughs> owners, um, I, I, I worked my way from like an hourly shift manager to, um, you know, to an actual like salaried manager to a general manager to a partner and, and we expanded uh, um, to a total of four restaurants, expanded our original two. Um, throughout the course of the 10 years that I was there, I, I had like one of those pivotal moments in oh, maybe 08, 09, uh, in which one of our kitchen managers' husbands was the kitchen manager uh, at the Wilderness Pub at, at Boulder Brewing, and there was a packaging line job that was available. And like that was my foot in the door, had the thing on lock if I took it. I turned it down to stay to stay with uh, with m the guys who were my partners uh, at that stage, uh, the brothers McLuhan. Um, <laughs> so uh, it ended up uh, staying in that position, but also that was sort of the point where I went, okay, well, if I I really want to do this, I really still want to uh, be a professional brewer, but how do I get better at what I'm doing? And was very fortunate that uh, a couple of guys, um, Brian Baltzell and and Adam Kimball with Great Divide were kind enough to take my homebrew and, and take it to the Great Divide sampling panel. Um, everybody from uh, front of house managers, head brewer, Brian Dunn, the owner, said, hey, I'm gave me notes. <laughs> and, you know, equal parts affirmation information, like it, the beer was okay for homebrew, sure. um, but it needed a lot of work. And over the course of maybe six or seven times that I was able to like give them beer and get feedback, uh, I, I was able to really refine my process and really understand um, the shortcomings of what I was doing. And this is, you know, also kind of a time where it was pre-proliferation of the internet. You know, I didn't have a phone that, like, when I'm brewing, I can just go, <laughs> you know, sure. you know, I have a question, answer it for me. <laughs> so, um, so you know, it was it, it was incredibly valuable. And then, um, you know, shortly after that, I met my wife. Uh, as it turns out, her like childhood best friend is married to this guy, Andre Di Mattia, uh, who ended up being a, a, a dear friend of mine. Um, he was with Crooked Stave from nearly day one. Um, you know, he he sort of ran uh, a lot of the distribution side when they uh, when they had Crooked Stave twelve percent importing. He managed that, but he had access, <laughs> <laughs> and and he had access to. Um, you know, to a lot of very brilliant minds in the Denver beer scene, kind of in this, like, uh, you know, early heyday where things were starting to boom. So now all of a sudden, like, I had actual resources that, um, you know, were, were kind of guiding me along to, to help kind of refining my craft and, and really, um, you know, learning how to make quality beer. Um, so, so, yeah, 2014 rolls around. I've got a two-year-old daughter. Um, at that stage, I'm married. I'm working 90 to 100 hours a week, and my wife was was doing nearly the same. And we both said, "Enough of this! Like we're tired of commuting two hours a day in, in Denver rush hour. Let's move to Nebraska and figure out how we can open a brewery." Hmm. And so, so we basically sold our house, sold our stakes in the business, quit our jobs, and moved back with nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> is, your, is your wife from here? No, she's from Denver. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow, that's that's crazy. So that was twenty fourteen. Um, when did when did White Elm? I guess you just had year two. So 
Yep, yeah. So um, 2016 was? Yeah, yeah. So 2016 was our official opening. I think we signed our, our lease a full year before we actually were able to open. We had to rezone the building. We had to go through a ton of stuff. And, um, you know, during our uh, uh, application for state-level license, we got sent off to show cause. It was a period in which there were a lot of issues with home brewers uh, posing as uh, breweries in planning, uh, uh, in the NLCC had issue with it. So uh, we kind of got, um, you know, the lasso of truth, if you will, kind of thrown around about, you know, four of us that were opening in that period and drawn into uh, show cause just to make sure that we were uh, vividly aware of the law <laughs> and were following it uh, in advance of opening, which we were. Um, so uh, it, it held us up a bit, but, um, you know, I think we, we existed on paper from about July 2014. Um, oh, yeah. We had articles of incorporation, you know, mm -hmm. all that fun stuff. Uh, it, it took us quite a while to find a building. Um, we had three or four different locations that we had looked at, and every time we found something that we fell in love with, um, there was a setback, you know. Uh, uh, looked at a couple places in the Haymarket. Uh, one of them, you know, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to cantilever the floor to, uh, <laughs> yeah, to to be able to support the load of the tanks. Well, I mean, that's a that's a pretty quick non-runner for us. If yeah. we had invested maybe four or five months into, I mean, oh, we yeah. had we had the lease in hand. The only contingency left that needed to be checked off was structural engineer approval. So, um, you know, had a bunch of those moments. We found our location um, right at 7th and Van Dorn, and I, I at the time lived just at 27th and Van Dorn. Um, and so w we started looking at it, and we're like, man, this is a really underserved neighborhood. There are places to get a great craft beer. You know, Nine South was there at the time, Rock Island Social Club, but there's not a ton. Yeah. You know, and uh, we're right on the bike path. I'm, I'm a, uh, despite my physique, I'm a pretty avid. <laughs> uh, commuter cyclist uh, so it made sense you know I had all the utilities we needed um, we, we sort of fell in love with the location and now we're really glad we did you know we, we, we love the, the little neighborhood down there oh yeah it's it's a great I think it's a great location for for a, a little it, I mean if it, you know it just feels like a, a small town brewery when you walk in there yeah. and it's very inviting welcoming when you go inside but and we go in the back and see just the intricate amounting amounts of brewing equipment and barrels that you have when you walk back there. It's so exciting. I love when I go in there every time. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, in retrospect, uh, our, our production side is about half as big as it really needs <laughs> to be. I mean, we're, we're, we're reducing inventory intake just so we have room to actually drive our forklift. So... <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, but you know that's that's good problems. Those oh, are, those are yeah. you know, uh, th those are good problems to have. All right, we're we finished off the uh, the Simcoe IPA. Um, grabbed out of the fridge. This is a, a Morningside Breakfast Stout from BKS Artisan Ales. It's their oddly correct coffee. Um, from actually just from last month, this came out so. Had a, had a buddy down there pick me up a, a four-pack, and the, the way I am, I, I give more of my beer away than I drink, and this is the only one I have left from the four-pack, so we're going to share it tonight. Yeah, that's a good quality of the person, you know, <laughs> that's what it's for. 
It, it's it's crazy. Like Kansas City's beer scene, it, it seemed like there was sort of a lag there. I mean, like I I love Kansas City. It's one of those cities that you drive into and you see that um, you know that kind of gothic and and uh, deco architecture, and like man, that city's got soul. Yeah. And, and the beer scene was, um, you know, there were some great breweries there, but like you kind of look at it and you go, man, how how is a city of this size? not have one on every corner and it seems like the last three years it's just blown up yeah i know uh before we had three kids and we just had the one kid me and my wife used to go to kansas city for like little getaway vacations you know three-day vacations whatever all the time mm-hmm. every time i went down there and like besides boulevard there's just not a whole lot of places to really be getting craft beer at and now i mean BKS is fairly new. They're only like maybe a year old. Yeah. And uh, um, Torn Label's down there. They do great beers. Um, what was the place? Oh, Crane. I love yeah, Crane and their sours. Yeah. yeah. They, they have awesome stuff there. So. And the coffee on this is just rocking. Like, it's a really nice beer. Yeah, I haven't even taken a sniff of this yet. Oh, yeah. <coughs> it's just a just their standard oatmeal stout there, but uh, with some coffee. I dig it. Like a lot of the chocolate backbone, like that gristville is. Oh yeah, is really nice. It's very smooth. Might be one of my my one of the better under what is it under seven percent beer maybe uh, stouts I've had in a little while. It's pretty tasty. It's like six six or something like that. I think. Trying to, I'm trying to read, but I'm not good at that. Uh, six five. Oh, six, six five. five. Yeah. 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 Has a good body and good flavor. So it's a manageable number. <laughs> and unlike some of the stats that you're uh, brewing up over here, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's funny. I uh, I probably hadn't brewed a stout since 2008 uh, when we brewed our. F- fifth batch of beer, I think. So it had been, mm-hmm. uh, at that stage, eight years since I brewed a, uh, a stout of any kind, let alone an imperial stout. I um, heard there was a rumor going around that you never really wanted to brew stouts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not that I, uh, it's not that I don't enjoy my, I, like I really always have. It was, uh, <coughs> everything I brewed for, I mean, geez, for literally since probably 2000. 10, 11 were, were Saisons and Wilds and, um, you know, uh, Belgian styles. And that was just sort of um, maybe my comfort zone and the things that I did the most. And now, um, you know, we still get to play with them. Um, we still get to, you know, I feel like we've got our um, our barrels, which we use almost like little miniature fooders kind of producing, um, you know, the titrated acidity that we want. You know, I think Nora Colette was a good example of, um, you know what, maybe three or four passes through those can kind of start generating. Um, and, and that was the stuff that I wanted to focus on. But yeah, as it turns out, the, the stout um, the stout scaled up nicely and, and uh, uh, you know, it, it did well in barrels. And so, yeah. It did very well in barrels. <laughs> <laughs> to, to the fact where you, White Elm, I mean, you're pretty much known for stouts now, I feel like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think, um, I, you know, sort of the class of 2016, and I'm going to rope uh, uh, cross-train in that, like, 
we've become segmentized like incredibly. Like Crosstrain makes IPAs. Why don't make stouts? Tim makes crazy beer. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are all about the same. Crosstrain, Boiler, and White Elm are all right around the same two-year mark, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I think Crosstrain was uh, so Boiler would have been uh, there April. April. Yep. Uh, April Fool's Day. Uh, <laughs> April first, we were uh, November eighth or ninth. And then um, Crosstrain, I believe, was like the following spring, like in May or so. But so they'll be their two year will be coming up here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know, I, 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 I think that um, it, it was, it was definitely fun to see. You know, you have um, watching it from afar. So like being in Denver, um, Zipline opens up. And the day they opened, I, you know, had been kind of following them on social media. I had a buddy in Lincoln. I'm like, hey, could you go down and get a couple of growlers from this place? Like, they seem like um, their social media pro- presence is very endearing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these seem like swell guys. Yeah. Uh, and as it turns out, they are. Oh, like, um, you know, I, uh, I, I can't speak highly enough of, of Tom and Marcus. But uh, sends back growlers and open them up like, holy like <laughs> these are really good and uh was super impressed with them and it was funny seeing that being like the tipping point in craft beer in in lincoln um where everything started modernizing really rapidly and you know fast forward i think they were open three four years by the time we opened they'd already kicked down a lot of those doors for styles that you know i don't know if if Slinging saisons in in 2012 would have been successful for us, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but they had such a great market rollout and produced such great, high quality, consistent beer that yeah, it made it made it a lot easier for us. Yeah, that's one thing when you think about Zipline is just the quality. Like okay. every time you open up something, it's the same as the last one that you opened up. So absolutely, Mike. Mike is well, Mike and Brendan and um, you know, uh, previously Keith. I mean, they're just, they're, they're all such quality brewers. And uh, previously, Keith, now Keith's <laughs> working for you now. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I stole him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, what, uh, maybe six months now? Yeah, 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 it has been about six months, yeah. How's that, uh, how's he doing out there? Oh, love having him. I mean, he's just, uh, you know, being a professional brewer is the only job he's ever had. Like really? it's kind of crazy. Yeah, he was. He started at Zipline when he was like nineteen, and um, and so like this was his chosen career path from like teenage years through, and uh, I mean he takes it so seriously. He's so consistent. He's so level-headed. He's a very uh, calming influence back there. Just quality, consistent <laughs> every time. Awesome. So. How do you settle on the name White Elm for your brewery? So when when we first moved back to Nebraska, we got this smoking deal on this house, like right at Twenty Seventh and Dandelion, um, like one one house west of the that one side of the intersection, and we we bought it from afar. Like we had never been inside of it by oh, the time sure. we had an offer, uh, an offer in that was accepted. Well, and in what year was that? It was fourteen. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And. Uh, and we got in there and we realized pretty quickly, like, this thing, like, you know, the the inspection looked great. Like, structurally, this house is great. But <laughs> <laughs> it, 
it's got to be gutted down to the bare studs in some rooms. Like, the bathrooms. I, I, I see you're a horror fan, and legitimately, <laughs> our upstairs bathroom looked like a scene out of Saw. Like, <laughs> chicken wire and, and fucking tile hanging off of the walls with, like, explo- exposed uh, uh, Latin plaster behind it. Like, it was, it, it was rough. So we spent... You know, it felt like a lifetime. It was only three months. We were staying with my mom up in Omaha, um, which that is something fun to do when you're in your 30s. And, like, I moved out of my house when I was 16. So I'm 33, 34 years old living with my mom. And so is my wife. With your wife. (laughs) And my daughter uh, in her basement. And, oh, man, it was, I mean, like, you know, God love her for letting us do it. She was so sweet and accommodating. So was, you know, so was uh, my stepdad. I couldn't get out fast enough, <laughs> you know. Um, and, and so, so we're hustling on this house, and it took us about three months um, to to get everything at least uh, in a livable state, uh, and we could kind of tidy up on projects from there. And so, my wife and I, a lot of times, um, if she, you know, if my mom was able to stay at home with my daughter, my wife would come down with me. We would. Uh, work on the house all day before we drove back to Omaha, sit on the front porch, have a beer. And there was this massive tree in the front yard, right in between the, the sidewalk and the street. Uh, it's a city property. I, I'm, I'm no arborist. It's a <laughs> huge fucking tree. <laughs> like, uh, if you ever drive down Van Dorn, it literally goes from, from the southern side all the way into the backyard of the house on the northern side. of. It. I mean, it's enormous. So one day the city arborist comes by. You know, hey, you guys are new owners. Um, we come by every, I think it's like four months or six months. We check on this tree. It's the, the oldest living uh, white or uh, American elm left in the city. Uh, most of them fell to Dutch elm disease. Kind of goes through the whole spiel. Um, about a hundred-year-old tree. Really interesting story. And so, like... We, you know, we, we knew we were going to open the brewery, but there, there was also a phase in there. It's like, yeah, well, maybe, you know, maybe if there's a restaurant that goes uh, goes up for auction in the right location, like maybe we do a little gastropub thing, um, you know, given given my background. And, and so when the brewery was for certain this is the thing that's going to happen, um, you know, my wife, uh, she was a graduate of the uh, Art Institute of the Rockies and was a marketing director for a commercial real estate firm, like, that's that's all her end of things in like uh it, it was strong symbolism right mm-hmm. and she's like there's a story uh there's an emotional response at least for her and i there's a strong symbolism there and and so that was our name nice and i can uh, i really appreciate um your wife and all your new labels <laughs> me too <laughs> they uh yeah it, you know it was it was really interesting. Like the the, so we had we had a broker um, or a manufacturer before that. There were a lot of constraints on the labels, <laughs> and uh, Brian Podwinski over at, uh, at Blue Blood, we were talking one day, and he he told me about this person he's using. Um, he's like, oh, it's great. He's like, you've seen our new sixteen ounce labels that uh, Perfect Pour Studios are doing for him, and like they look great, like big bright graphic illustrations, mm-hmm. and like. They look quality. Like, those things just straight up piss class. And I was like, yes, I will I will look them up. And so then my wife talks to him, 
and everything that she wanted to do that she was sort of handcuffed by her old provider, they're like, oh, yeah, we can totally do that. She's like, game on. <laughs> <laughs> so you went ahead and switched. And we did. And does she design? Oh, yeah, everything. She designs yeah. everything. Because, like, I remember the first one's like, oh, they're all like the same looking cans. And then, what, what was the, was it, in, was it inverted? Citra. Citra. Yeah. The first one, a bright orange. Yeah. Oh, like, boom. And uh, then they just kept coming out with even crazier and awesome designs and colors. And she occasionally lets me like chip in just stupid stuff that I want to. <laughs> like the plesiosaurs? Fuck yes. <laughs> do, you, do you ever watch the Venture Brothers? Like, I, am I, I just totally no? I've, here? I've seen them before. Two, two, two Tom Twenty One, man. Where where they're like, so, you know, there's the two henchmen sitting there having a conversation about. Um, uh, Champ versus the Loch Ness monster, <laughs> and you just hear Ogo Pogo. <laughs> Ogo Pogo's a fucking plesiosaur. <laughs> you, so d- while we're talking here, Colby cracks open Champarado 2019, and the whole room smells like cinnamon now. <laughs> you know, the cinnamon's a lot softer this year because we used uh, we were able to get uh, True Ceylon cinnamon, which is like. Uh, it's kind of cool, you know, and like normal, like normal, um, and there's an, a specific name for it, cinnamon, kind of one curl, mm-hmm. right, or, you know, double-ended curl. This looks like um, there are there are dozens of very paper-like layers to it, mm. softer, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more woody, um, definitely um, a richer flavor, and then the Mexican vanilla this year just, yeah, the cinnamon and then the vanilla, like. I don't even, I want to drink this, but I just want to keep smelling it. This is an amazing aroma. I'm very excited about this. I, I've been waiting for Champarado Day since last Champarado Day. Oh, we're going back for a little oh bit yeah, more. Oh, yeah, we're going to top the off here. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it is, that is a dark beer. Oh. Holy shit. so good. Thanks, man. I'm glad you like it. It's Champarado. I mean, the year one, year two stouts, I love so much, but Champarado is, to me, is just the next level. I just, the the adjuncts that you guys use and the way that you blend this beer is incredible. Oh, thanks, man. I, I, I really appreciate it. It's, uh, you know, it, like, it's a learning process. Like, I feel like, you know, it, every year there's little subtle adjustments. The opportunity to get um, I don't want to say higher quality vanilla because we always use like very high quality uh, bourbon vanilla beans, but I think Mexican vanilla beans just lend themselves a little bit better to the stouts that we make. There's a there's a creaminess and a smokiness that kind of comes along with it, and so so the opportunity to use that kind of changed things a little bit. The Ceylon cinnamon changed things a little bit, um, and, and you know, and, and the Guajillo chili is like I love that little bit of subtle chili on the back end of yeah. it without getting super spicy, but you also never really know what you're going to get with, with chilies like that, you know. Um, for all we know that there's, you know, a hundred dried pasillas in there and the thing's going to come out screaming hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it, it's always a fun beer to make. I, I think this year um, the, the wild turkey barrels we had were, like, super fudgy. 
and same same batch of stout went into all of them but somehow it expressed the uh we use a lot of thomas Bosset pale chocolate malt um super super fudgy coming out of those barrels and i think it kind of fluffs up the uh the uh, cocoa nibs quite a bit so i mean you make amazing beer like this do you only just drink your own beer or do you ever drink beer <laughs> I anywhere else Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I, I have. After years of, of of cooking, like you don't eat your own food. <laughs> like I don't drink our home, our beer very much. No. Um, well, and plus you you probably drink a little bit every day. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, and so like when I have a beer, I I, I always tend to, to gravitate towards uh, from our portfolio the simpler stuff, the ESB uh, still life. I drink quite a bit of that. Um, when I'm going out, I mean, I kind of have my, like, local rounds. Sure. Um, Nut Brown from Zipline is, like, one of my favorite beers ever. That beer is amazing. Yeah. Um, Hellas Creek from, from Cross Strain. Love that beer. Um, I always like just seeing what Tim has been doing <laughs> over a boiler. Um, it, it's it's amazing to me. Like I always kind of seek out like the the least adjunct forward thing, and every time it's just so so good and so well executed. I mean, the guy's just uh, uh, his technical prowess is off the charts. Um, and so I always like going there for variety. But but outside of that, like if I'm at a package store um, and I'm not buying, you know, uh, something local, like a lot of times it's import. Uh, I, I drink a fair amount of Duval. Um, I, I love Daronka Gutenberg. Um, you know, I'm trying to think what else. A, a, a good, uh, uh, our, our friend Dingus with uh, uh, Good Life Provisions just started bringing in this, like, really, really awesome Czech, uh, Czech Pilsner. I mean, like, puckeringly bitter. Yeah. Like, good, good Czech Pils. Yeah, I've seen him, seen him crack open a few of those. I haven't uh, grabbed any yet at the store. Yeah, they're like the four-pack of yeah. the, like, very snazzy-looking bottles. Yeah, it, worth checking out. Really, really good stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of find myself, like, I always enjoy our, our you know, a big barrel-aged beer. Like, uh, Nate, uh, who works in our tap room, was kind enough to, he had, like, the Midnight Orange from, from uh, Goose Island. Yep. And, like, awesome beer. Was really excited to get a try it. Four ounces was plenty. And... You know, and then I reverted back into my curmudgeonly old man. I'm like, where is that Fuller's London pride? <laughs> yeah, I just, uh, me and my buddy John, who's been on the podcast before, we cracked one of those open, and it was just like an orange Tootsie Roll. That's. I think that's a very good explanation of that beer. <laughs> it, it was a super fun beer. Um, it's just super chocolatey, and then that orange peel, it was, it was enough orange peel. I wouldn't want any more in it, but yeah, yeah. And that's a hard thing to balance, I think. Like, I anytime you're adding citrus to effectively what is chocolate, like it, yeah. that's a tough that's a tough line to walk. And I think they did it successfully. You ever make it over Cosmic Eye yet? I have not been yet. Not for lack <laughs> of uh, lack of trying, though. Uh, we had uh, my wife and I had a night where we were going to go run up there like a month ago, and our sitter um, <laughs> our sitter kind of flaked out on us. Um, and, and it's also worth saying I don't leave my house a whole lot. <laughs> um, this is probably the latest I've been out. <laughs> um, in uh, short of like when I go to, uh, so we distribute to uh, 
to Sioux Falls, South sure. Dakota, um, like I go feral when I cross the border because, <laughs> like, you know, like I, 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 my my kids and my wife are at home. Um, my responsibilities become mostly just like uh, safety, you know, mm-hmm. like get a lift um, <laughs> and, and make sure you don't do anything particularly stupid. <laughs> And, and so outside of that, yeah, this is probably the latest I've been out in three or four months. Well, I appreciate, uh, and, the, and all the Fridge Guys uh, podcast listeners appreciate you coming out and drinking a few beers with me and uh, answering just a few questions that, that myself and I'm sure a lot of people were, are interested to hear. Um, so we were, so you were talking about your beer style. So Saisons, Belgians, those are probably the most fond styles that you have? Yeah, I mean, they, they tend to be the things that I enjoy making the most. Um, I, I, I definitely um, sort of gravitate to those styles, although lately, um, like I said, lately I've been, been doing the lager game quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, getting into Hellas quite a bit, Czech Pills. That's right. Your, your Saison was just like my go-to summer, like lawn mowing beer. That was yeah. Just we crush it all the time in the backyard because I got a pool back there, and it's like, oh, what do you want to drink? Well, I always have six to twelve cans of saison. So, and that's you know, and I think that that's the the truest expression of what that style should be. Like that's an agrarian style. Like if you're doing if you're if you're working outside and sweating, that's what you should drink. <laughs> <laughs> and nor Colette, I only have one bottle of that left. That beer is crazy good. Thank you. Barrel-aged apricot saison. Yeah, yeah. So it was... Um, do you have any more left at the brewery? I do. Okay. Well, I have one left here. That doesn't mean that it will be the last one that I have then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got uh, a fair amount of it left over at the brewery. Um, yeah, a fun beer. You know, it's... Well, we, we, I think we brewed that in January of last year. Moved it over to Stainless. You know, barrel fermenting, we get a lot of THP. Um, tastes like Cheerios, like an oily viscosity. I think it could be pretty easily confused with diacetyl. Um, so what we typically do is when the beer is ready, titrated acidity is where it needs to be. Uh, they, they tend to always have an oily viscousness. Arianette had it as well. Move it into stainless, let it rest for another three to four months. Uh, let the brett kind of tidy up any of that uh, O2 that might be saturated in there and then go to package from that point. Awesome. Um, is there any new brews that you're currently working on? Um, we've got... So I know And All just came out. Yep. That was one. That's Rick, uh, Rick. This is the second time you brewed that? Correct. Correct, yeah. yep. So, so And All, we've got uh, Artane, which is uh, a more true... You know, an authentic, if you will, Irish red. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very leathery, dark, um, robust. Uh, that'll be going in tank. I think we're going to launch that kind of second week of February. Um, Champ, uh, non-barrel-aged Champarado. Um, so you're going to can that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we've got uh, 350 cases slotted for. Uh, distribution so like it'll be you know it'll be widely available awesome um how close is it to that first one that you released that was the 30 the 3070 i i mean you know remove the barrel notes and it should be the same beer yeah um 
Yeah, it, you know, the barrel the barrel was definitely sort of a background note in that beer anyway. Yeah. Cuz that was only 30% age, right? Correct. Correct. And yeah. that was that was a bourbon brandy. Was uh, that? No, just bourbon. Uh, so those were all Heaven Hill barrels. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah, I I just started oh about six, eight months ago was when we really started getting a little bit more creative in our barrel purchasing. So previous to that, it was mostly whatever bourbon barrels we could get. And now uh, I, I'm probably driving our barrel broker mad because <laughs> I, like, I, I have, like, printed out sheets. And I'm like, you know, everything is, everything is coded for, like, these alphanumeric proprietary codes that, like, you know, 20 years ago when they were, when they were uh, coding barrel heads, there were, it didn't matter, you know. It didn't matter what was in it because it was all getting broken down and sent to Scotland. Mm-hmm. But now breweries want barrels, and then breweries are starting to fight over the better barrels. Sure. And so, yeah, I've got our our little list like Ben. I want anything that says you know Buffalo Trace Distillery Mash Two that's <laughs> coming out of the Seawick House. That's anything over eight years old because that means that's Weller Antique Series or or Rock Hill Farm or. Uh, Lanterns, mm-hmm. and so I, I geek him up with all of this knowledge, and prices shoot through the roof. But, <laughs> uh, but but now, so the majority of you know what used to be kind of our base barrel that we used, we used a lot of Heaven Hill, um, and we we'd like to get into that uh, you know six to ten year range with Heaven Hills when we could, which tends to be like uh, the hotter end of the Elijah Craig blends. Uh, a lot of times, um, but now our base barrels have sort of shifted. Uh, the majority of them now are Weller barrels, um, and a handful of Blanton's barrels. So um, it's been kind of nice to to get a little bit more picky, you know. Yeah. How often uh, do you, do you just use the barrels one time, or do you, do you yeah. use multiple times, or no? Just once. So after you're done with the barrels, then what happens to them? Um, we burn them out with hot water um, just so they don't mold and they go back to our broker and get turned into planters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, somewhere somebody's grandma has geraniums in a barrel that, like, the end of it will say, like, you know, Chomperado chocolate forward and, like, has all these, like, broken down notes because, like, a child, I can't trust myself to, like, hang, um, you know, hang the notes adjacent to the barrel because something will happen, so I just write it on <laughs> And, and, like, most of our barrels have, like, half a paragraph written on the heads of them by now. Uh, so what, so what's this clocking in ABV at, this Chomperado? Uh, <laughs> you know, um, went into the barrel about 12 and a half, so probably 13.2 coming out. Um, the issue is, not the issue, um, so when we do our adjuncts, we, we, we do our adjuncts a lot like we do our barrels in that we don't uh, heat pasteurize them or water pasteurize them um, or treat them with pure acetic acid. Um, so we only use wet barrels, great antiseptic quality in the fact that they have liquor in them. Mm-hmm. No worries about bug food. Chilies, vanilla, cocoa nibs, cinnamon, a lot more worries. So I get five-gallon buckets, pack all the adjuncts in there, and then fill them full of E&J brandy mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and soak them and then drain 
um, effectively at that stage what is extract into the next bucket after a day or so of soaking and then that kind of <coughs> you know um, I guess to a certain level sanitizes uh, the next level adjunct so um, you know when those go in there's probably five or six liters of 80 proof <laughs> bourbon that also goes in with it so uh, you know if we were to get it labbed I'd say somewhere in the high 14s probably because yeah. that was that year too that was what 15 or 16 yeah in that one <clears throat> that one we did get labbed um, it was 15-4 and then we cut back with uh, some cultiva toddy um, but yeah it, it, we, we got that one lab because those barrels had so much maple syrup left over in them that when we piped into it we got a secondary fermentation <laughs> so the beer went in at you know 12.8 or something like that and then I came in the next morning and all the bungs had blown off of the barrels I mean our ceilings 20 22 to 24 foot it kind of slopes uh, and there's I mean to this day there's stout <laughs> on the on the ceiling <laughs> Because um, I'm not getting up there. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, uh, you know, we, we found out that there's a lab that can do, like, pretty quick testing with it. So um, we we fired off a can and sent it off to him. And, yeah, it, it shook out at, like, 15.4, uh, in, in which we cut back uh, by volume with, with coffee and got it to, I think, 15.4. But you don't. I mean, it doesn't have an alcohol burn whatsoever. These yeah. beers don't. They're just, this is a dessert in a glass, really. Yeah, and I'm, I'm outpacing you here, Dane. I thought <laughs> you had a swallow on you. <laughs> you did, you did pour mine to the top. That's fair. That's fair. I forgot that I doubled you up. <laughs> it is quite, ta I'm, I like to chug beers on this, but uh, this one I just want to savor. Well, that's good. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about just kind of the Nebraska beer community here. What is, uh, what is your sense? So what's this? I mean, we're 2019, so you've been here about five years. We're back here for five years now. Yeah. Um, how have you seen the craft beer community here in Nebraska change, and what's your experience has been? Um, you know, I, I think the community here is, is so strong. Um, I, I think it's a great community. It's, but but I think it's just reflective of of the community in in Lincoln and Omaha. You know, like I think people give a shit about each other here. You know, yeah. and, I, and so I think um, it, it's not surprising to me that brewers care about other brewers, uh, and, and that the the you know the beer consumers care about their local brewer. Um, you know, we're very fortunate to have that. Uh, I I think. You know, I, I, I think the beer scene here has uh, evolved a lot since I got back. Um, you know, and just being able to, you know, I've, I've sort of got this, like, you know, um, this small segment of time in, in kind of blocks, you know, um, where I was here for a year or two, and then mm -hmm. I left, and, and I was always very interested in beer. And, you know, you, you, you see, like, you know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, like Empyrean was making um, wonderful classic styles, which they still do, um, but that was local beer, 
Remember yeah. there was that in, in Spilker, and and it was exciting and it was enjoyable, and uh, you know you leave for a couple of years and come back and all of a sudden, um, you know I, I guess the first time I came back it, it was it, they were still holding you know mm-hmm. holding forward and and uh, but but then it was either. You bought it at the grocery store, yeah. or you got it at Laszlo's. Yep. Like, no, you didn't. You didn't go around to bars and see their tap handles that many places. No, no, not at all. Um, it was mostly it was domestic beers on tap, and then if we had craft, it was maybe some Sam Adams or some Shock Top or something like that. Well, yeah, back, I mean back then. So I bartended uh, at Heidelberg South when it first opened up for like six months. Uh, and, and had uh, had a wrist surgery that took me out of work there for a while um, before moving over to Cliffs. And yeah, I mean, like craft beer was like uh, Amberbach. Yeah, um, <laughs> we had bottles of uh, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, uh, and then uh, Boulevard was synonymous with Boulevard wheat. Mm-hmm. And then Guinness, and that was sort of it. Yeah, you know, um, and so that would have been. Oh, four ish, or three or four. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then so, you know, you start seeing right before I left, like uh, New Belgium started distributing in Nebraska, and then all of a sudden, like craft craft handles are popping up in a lot of places, and Imperial handles and and Spilker handles are popping up in a lot of places, and then I leave and and come back, you know, once a year to visit, and you're just watching this explosion. In, in the market change, and then uh, in Nebraska brewing, yeah, Nebraska brewing, yeah, and, and I mean that was a that was a, a game changer for that, sure. Was that about two thousand eight? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe seven, something like seven or eight. I think because they've been around ten, eleven years now. I think. Yeah, well, and that was the first time you start seeing locals in in seven fifties and in yeah. doing, you know, barrel aged beers in in uh, a more of a mass scale and and, and seeing. Um, you know, Melange on the shelves, like, man, that beer's incredible. And, you know, barrel-aged stouts on the shelves from them. And uh, my buddy Sam over here, he knows how to work a brew house. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, that. And then, you know, you've got, uh, well, even Upstream, you know, they started packaging off a lot of, like, yeah. really funky stuff, um, which which was great. Uh and then when I moved back, you know, Zipline was pretty well trenched in at that point. Um, but Good Life Provisions opened up. Yeah. And, like, that was like uh, um, l- literally Dingus just managed to take the shelf space in Colorado that I was very used to and just bring it now available here, <laughs> <laughs> um, w- which was really cool. Um, yeah, I don't think we had a crooked stave before. No, no. Uh, so Funkworks was here for a brief while, yeah. which, like, that's one of those unheralded breweries that they just make incredible beer all the yeah. fucking time. But uh, it was here at a time where people really weren't buying it or picking it up, so it didn't last. Well, it's like, you know, Avery was here in 2000. Avery and Left Hand were here in, like, 2003. Hmm. And, you know, it was so niche at the time that... God, Avery makes giant freaking beers. <laughs> yeah, Andy just, yeah, he, I, I, I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> like, 
And, and and I'll be honest with you, like, I'm always impressed at how over-the-top boozy they are, yet enjoyable. Yeah. Because, like, I, I don't think they're trying to play that game of, like, oh, it's very well integrated and soft or soft. It's like, no, this is going to, like, stomp you into the ground. It is going to taste like bourbon, but it is going to taste like good bourbon, yeah. you know? Um, they had a beer called Momi Hiwa that they did years ago, and like it was like a fifteen point eight. I mean, so like a light beer right. by, <laughs> by his barrel standards. Um, uh, Imperial Porter and rum barrels with coconut and chocolate, and so it tasted like a liquid mounds bar. Yeah, incredible stuff, and it tasted like you were chasing a really great beer with a shot of like Gosling's Black Seal <laughs> Rum in like the best way possible every you know god yeah that newer one that they have planked it's uh it's an imperial porter but yeah. it's like 17% and it's just coconut and chocolate and amazing but yeah it's like I threw a mountains bar and some rum and now I'm just drinking it yeah w- you know when uh so the first batch of Uncle Jacobs that came out um it, it didn't really like fly at the taproom release, and so they like kicked some of it into distro, and it really didn't fly in distro, um, at least you know for a few weeks. And so I ended up getting a handful of bottles of it, um, not really knowing what I was even buying. And I, I I'll never forget sitting on my patio at this row house, my wife and I were in, and drinking like three of them. <laughs> And it was like a particularly like warm late winter day, <laughs> and we're we're just hanging out on the patio, you know, um, uh, listening to you know some garbage jam band that I decided was was worth checking out at the time, and like just talking and like she looks over at me and she's like, how how big is that beer? I'm like, I don't know. Why? She's like, you've got the fat tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and and I I kind of sat there and I laughed. I'm like, I've only had like two and a half beers. And then I stood up and like nearly went over the railing. And I'm like, oh, God. But yeah, it was like 18%. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, you could just like, I mean, this is what, about uh, 13, 14%. And yeah. it doesn't, I mean, I drink. Eight nine percent beers that seemed hotter than this does. So yeah, yeah. I'm I, you know I, I I'm a big fan of uh, Scottish ale yeast. Like you ferment big beers cold with that and just kind of keep a keep a temperature cap and and you know you've got to let it warm towards the end so they attenuate. But it, it really keeps that kind of ethyl alcohol like in your face. Um, note out of it like it's just a uh, a a good a good soft finished uh, booziness I love it I love it so one question so you know we've got you know the general public and we've got hardcore craft beer fans Mm -hmm. how do you reach kind of beyond the hardcore and, and try to sell to the public, you know, just the general public? Uh, that, that, that's the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, w- I would say that, like, most of our 
our growth has been sort of this cult following that we, we were able to establish. Um, you know, kind of first layer of that was just in our neighborhood. You know, we mm-hmm. were um, w- we were part of sort of, you know, what we considered like a moderately underserved neighborhood. Um, kind of became like a little neighborhood hub, you know, if you will. Like, um, Well, and now there's three breweries within a stone's row. You got Blue Blood yeah, right that's there. that's true. White Elm's yeah. there, and then Backswing's Back swing down the street, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and, and so, um, you know, I think that was like sort of phase one, and then, you know, we started making a lot of stouts that, um, you know, were definitely resonating in the, uh, uh, you know, kind of the upper uh, upper end, like craft beer community, um, and it, it, it has been a hard transition because some of the beers that we make, um, they don't necessarily resonate in that community. Um, I enjoy them. Sure. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, that that's sort of the, um, I think that's sort of the challenge, and I think that that's going to be a challenge for every brewer in, in, in modern production brewing. It's like, who, who do you want your market to be? Because y- you kind of get one or the other, and I, I, I think the thing is there are, there are great production breweries who are knocking out great, high-quality, consistent beer. Um, you know that the beer geeks sometimes just look past. Sure. Because, um, well, I mean, like, uh, Zipline's, the, uh, was it The Stout? Yeah. Incredible. Great yeah. beer. Great beer. But it's not a heavily adjunct barrel-aged stout. It's just a barrel-aged stout. <laughs> it's an incredible barrel-aged yeah. stout. And, and the thing is, in like, I, I think if we release that beer, there, there's some social media exposure. People are getting excited about it. When Zipline does it, you see two or thing, three things pop up in that in that segment of the community, and it's unfortunate. You know, I, I think man, that that beer was exceptional. Um, Even last year's version was. The bourbon barrel aged stout. Yeah. yeah. And this one's just called the stout. Dude, they're, they're port barrel aged barley. Oh, like my 2015, God. like, just, I mean, world class lights out barley wine. Yeah. Um, Even yeah. last year's rum barrel aged, I thought was incredible. Yeah, it was. It was. And so, um, and, you know, by and large, like, uh, y- you know, the beer geek community kind of goes, oh, yeah, I like to make good beer, but. Yeah. And, and and so I, I think that that's the challenge for, for most of us. You know, knowing what I know about the market today, um, you know, I, I look at, like, what Tim did down at Boiler. Uh, man, he maybe had the right idea. Like, I, you know, when you, when you think about the breweries and you think about Tim, like, he caters to that crowd. Yeah. The beer Greek, I mean, not every beer is amazing, but... Every beer that he puts out there is going to be something crazy and different. And I mean, I think now it's getting to a point two years in that we're starting to see a few of those beers come back. Sure. sure. I mean, at some stage they have to. <laughs> well, like how many hundred? put up three hundred plus beers now, and he's only been open for two years. Yeah. So I, I mean, like, yeah. There, I mean, there's only so many plays. You know, like that's a that's a lot. <laughs> like that that's so much, but. But, like, I think, you know, I I think that looking at, like, where Denver is, um, you know, 
insane breweries like Hogshead and Cerebral and, and Comrade and, and these great breweries that they're like, yeah, we're going to serve our neighborhood. Yeah. Like, th- that's what we do. Um, you, you know, I think that that's sort of the wave of the future is um, I honestly, I don't think there's going to be another zip line uh, in Nebraska. Like, I, I don't think, like, Cross Train's making a go at it. Like, they're moving some volume. But I, I, I just don't know that there's going to be another 10,000 barrel a year production brewery in Nebraska. And I think uh, breweries are starting to, uh, brewers are, are starting to realize that and carve out their niche in the market, find the thing that their, um, y- you know, that their customer base is into, cater to that, do it well. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm part of that beer geek community. I mean, I there isn't a beer that is introduced to our market that I probably don't try. Sure, sure. I mean, I I don't just search out the craziest beers. I want to at least drink every single beer that comes across. It's a lot of beer, Dave. It's <laughs> a lot of beer. <laughs> when that's a lot of peeing. <laughs> when when I uh, you know I. I'm, I'm on the untapped app because I like to, to track the beers sure. that I drink and stuff like that. And when I looked on, you know, they did the year in review and said that I drank over 2,600 different beers in 2018. <laughs> and I, I shared that on social media, and my wife was like, uh, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> it's like six a day, seven a day. Yep, yep. yep. Yeah. Was when, when somebody did the math and said, you know you drink 42 different beers a week? <laughs> Uh, no, but thanks. <laughs> but I, I mean, I just want to try everything, and and sometimes I'll drink it again, sometimes I won't. Sure. But uh, I just that way I, you know, I know it's out there, and yeah. and uh, my biggest thing is I just want to to help educate people that that maybe you know are Bud Light drinkers. You know, when I I you know when I started drinking, I I didn't drink beer. I never drank anything carbonated. I I was just a vodka guy. Vodka? I just drank vodka. I drank screwdrivers all the time. That was the only drink I... Because I, I, I never drank pop. Like yeah. I stopped drinking pop yeah. when I was like 14 years old. So I couldn't drink anything carbonated. So I was like, what am I going to drink? I was like, I like orange juice. I'll just drink some vodka with it. <laughs> and uh, You ever do a Galliano float in that? No. Oh, you know. No. Was that a Harvey Wall banger, I think? Maybe. And I just had a gay bar recently in Omaha. <laughs> How did that transition? <laughs> well, I was talking about my school driver, and they added peach schnapps to it. So, uh, that That's uh, Sex on the Beach, right? I, I have no idea. No, I mean, I think this is like my, my bartending days coming back. I'm pretty sure that's a Sex on the Beach. And then if you if you put a galley on a float, it's a Harvey Wolfanger. I don't fucking know. I've been here right. 15 years because I've been behind. It was delicious, I'll tell you that. But... Um, but that's just because they only had Bush or uh, Bud Light and Budweiser on tap. That was all that that place had. But so uh, that's none the story that I was trying to go down. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, though, like that's an afterthought at a gay bar because, like, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, yeah. they're like, I don't know, like, just whatever swill because I'm sure there's like some pretty rocking cocktails coming out of there. Oh, you yeah. know, like, yeah, they they don't worry about the beer. But, uh, so that's what I drank, was, was vodka, and then, uh, 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was really 2010, 11. I started drinking beer, mm-hmm. and I drink Miller Lite. Like I liked, I drank Bud Lights. I never really liked it. I thought Miller Lite had a little bit more flavor to it. Sure, sure. Um, drank that, and then somebody introduced me to a summer shandy. Oh, uh, it was all over from that point. And on. I was like, "Wow, this this tastes like lemonade. <laughs> this doesn't even taste like beer." And uh, and then the next thing, and then John hates this story when I when I tell, but I told you I have Fruly in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. When that, that was one of my first Belgian beer experiences, and it had strawberries in it, and I thought it was amazing. You know, uh, in fairness, everyone has had a Lindemann's Frambois that's, like, deep into the craft beer game. Mm-hmm. And they'll shit on it all that they can. But then, like, when you get the real, like, neckbeardy guys, like I once was, <laughs> and I'm like, you can, you can shit on Lindemann's Frambois all you want, but Lindemann's Cuvée Rene, like, that's like poor man's, poor man's Cantillon Classic. Yeah. Like, that's an incredible goose that just sets on shelves. Yeah, so I mean, and I still, I still hang out with lots of people that are Bush. I mean, we live in Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln, sure. Nebraska. Bush Light is like the biggest selling beer in the state. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but it w- it was actually launched into the market to like it was to appeal to rural consumers, and, and I, I had read a whole marketing rollout campaign uh, years ago. Um, about Bush Light, and it was like Anheuser was like, Bud Light is too upmarket yeah. for some smaller communities, and so we need something that's going to compete with. And I can't even remember what it was, whether it was Keystone or, um, and it was like a buck less of a case of Bush. <laughs> um, and I grew up drinking that stuff. I mean, from the time I was fourteen years old, I drank a lot of Bush Light. <laughs> And I, I mean, I've drank it before, but it was never something that I wanted to drink or searched out or anything like that. And and uh, the po- the flavor possibilities in the craft beer world is endless. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's well, it's the antithesis of wine in in that like it it's about the brewer, not the terroir. You know, like. And, and, and so, like, kind of circling back when we first started this, you said something about, like, um, you know, people making great beer in Lincoln, Nebraska. It should come as no surprise because people are making phenomenal beer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in, you know, in, in rural Texas, in Mississippi. My cousin came, uh, there was a brewery called Great Raft in somewhere in Louisiana, like rural Louisiana. Like, I mean, just incredible barrel-aged stouts and hazy IPAs. And, and like, that's the beauty of beer is we're all ordering from the same two suppliers, <laughs> you know? You can, you can, uh, y- y- it, it's all about the brewer, you know? And it's, a, it's all about um, h- how far the brewer uh, and the brewery wants to take it. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's my, especially with this podcast is just, you know, bringing on people that that know what the hell they're doing, and and getting that message out there, and in, in you know whether 
100 people listen to this or 3,000 people listen to this, somebody's going to, you know, pick it up and be like, White Elm. I've never had White Elm. Sure. And pick it up and, and take a drink. I had uh, the guys from Poor. They they just opened up a month ago. Mm-hmm. They've already went through 730 gallons of craft beer in one month there. Oh, I believe it. It's yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that it's. Well, you gotta love that. You're close, huh? Oh shit! Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm a mile away from there, and I'm a mile away from Cosmic Eye. God, I told I told Josh when I went in there the first time. I'm like, I, I, I couldn't have this location because there's a Popeyes at the end of the <laughs> end of the strip, and like and a Taco Bell right behind. No, I mean, okay, so like, so I worked I worked under a couple of Michelin star winning chefs. Like, I, you know, I, I worked in a James Beard kitchen. Uh, Popeyes is the greatest food in America. <laughs> like, I have my list of like my three favorite restaurants in America. Number three is Popeyes, <laughs> and like I will argue someone to death about that because like, sure is you know I- I- is it uh, you, you know is is it uh, Mod's Liquor Bar? No. I, I, is it fruition? No. It's it's amazing. That's what it is. <laughs> And, and and it's amazing that I can get it in any city in America. Yeah, I love Cajun rice and red beans and rice, and yeah, I do love me some Popeyes too. Except now that I don't know, I used to eat their spicy all the time, and it's just it fucking tears me up. Got to just you got to train for it. Oh yeah, well I mean I still do it. <laughs> <laughs> you just regret it. <laughs> The next day, I'm like, son of a bitch. Should have ate more biscuits. <laughs> All right, let's see. We're, we're just a little over an hour. I got maybe two more two more questions here while we finish this. I, I don't think we need to do much, many more beers tonight because, I mean, we're not going to open up a much more better beer than that Champarado. Yeah. And I don't want to keep you out too late tonight. Yeah, this is like bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah, if we, if we drink that here too, we're probably gonna sleep yeah. in the chairs down here. No, you should just stick that in your cooler. No, I will. I will do that right now. So, what? What is the most? What is the style that's most fun for you to brew? If there is a most fun style. Eh. You know, uh, the one that you, the one that you haven't brewed before. Um, and the reason I say that is there's like uh, this this new enthusiasm for uh, for like forgotten styles and, and so I always enjoyed making grisettes it was something that I kind of became aware of um, maybe I, like I feel like ago. you making a grisette was like the first grisette ever made in like <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was like one of the first ones made in the Midwest <laughs> Um, they they weren't a, they're not like a super common style, uh, but I love them. Like they're they're everything I want in a saison and a more uh, a, a more um, high capacity drinking capability uh, package. A, and so uh, there's like this enthusiasm for these sort of forgotten styles. And so like um, the proliferation of like Kvikes, um, uh, like these like Scandinavian saisons, I love it. You know, we brewed one, what, a year and a half ago called Yggdrasil. Um, 
and using Sigmund's Vos Greek, and I'm probably butchering that. Um, <laughs> but like, it was amazing to me that this yeast could take one grain, one hop, and make it taste like spruce tips and juniper and all these crazy flavors. And also, like, ferment, we, we fermented that beer at like 106 degrees. Um, and, and for those who like aren't into into brewing, like 68 tends to be like the upper threshold of like non-estery ales, so like just kind of classic ales. Um, saisons, we, we let them always free rise, but I, I still put a cap at like 90 on them. And this thing, we just let it go apeshit. Hmm. And it did. It fermented out in like 16 hours from the time that that beer was put in tank. Um, and I, I loved that beer. And it was something we never we had never done before. I had no experience working with that yeast. I played around with it quite a bit after that. Um, we threw some of the um, you know some of the wort off of there. Uh, I guess fermented some beer uh, onto our brat barrels. So it's it, it's the it's the new styles that we haven't done before. And and for me, those tend to be um, historic and classic styles like. Um, my friend Andre, who, who I was talking about earlier, um, he has family that lives in Duluth, Minnesota. And so on the way back, he goes to this place called Scratch. Um, somewhere in Illinois, maybe, I don't know. It's like a, like a two-barrel uh, brewery. Huh. And he came back, literally had like his own, he makes like fire cider. And so he has all these like crazy jars and like swing top growlers. Mm -hmm. And he like in, in very Andre fashion, like, he presents things to you. Like, he's, like, the sweetest guy ever. He's like, oh, then I brought this back from scratch, and there was a piece of freaking masking tape on it. <laughs> and, and it just said Voss, 1.9%. Uh, huh. And I'm like, cool, what's this? He's like, well, it's a Russian Voss, and it's made uh, it's made um, with their, uh, their rye bread as the yeast starter. <laughs> and it tasted like liquid pumpernickel. <laughs> It was the like the first drink was the it, it was so hard to like compartmentalize what was going on and like oh this is beer like I felt like I was drinking like liquid pumpernickel like from Schlotsky's <laughs> it felt like I just you know bit into like a cold Schlotsky sandwich <laughs> this is the strangest like it's pumpernickel and pastrami um, and by the second drink, you like are able to kind of start separating out some of the sharp rye and all this other stuff that's going on. It's a Russian style, and it's like a table beer. And I keep threatening to make one, and we just haven't found like there's just not a ton of information. Mm -hmm. And so like uh, we we kind of gave up on our pilot system a while back. Um, and, and so it's like a seven barrel commitment to do it. But I mean that's something that. Here in the next four or six months, we're going to knock out. And, like, those are the styles that get me the most excited is some of these um, sort of avant-garde, like, historical styles are, like, very small, regionally specific because um, there's a lot that can be done without really adjuncts, just kind of, um, you know, regional flavors. Uh, same topic, but one of my favorite breweries in the world that I'm so excited for is being released. And Lincoln, King. Oh, my God. Right? I love Jester King so much. Yeah. Like, every time, like, that's one of the breweries that is not local here that I've probably been to the most. Because mm -hmm. I travel to Austin every year because I have friends that live down there, and we have to go to Jester King every time. Because I, and every time we open up a beer there, it, or and every time we open up a beer anytime from Jester King, it takes me back 
to sitting at their farmhouse brewery. Oh, sure. Like the 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 aroma of the beer, the the taste of the beer takes me back to sitting there and their farmland and their goats and all that kind of stuff. I I just love Jester King, so I I mean breweries that can capture that in four to eight ounces of liquid. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And you talk about their terroir. I can't even. I'm getting a fat tongue now. <laughs> their terroir. Um, that that's one brewery that I think of every time. When oh yeah, yeah. They they're one of the few that really captures it. Like you know, along with like Hill Farmstead, sure. and Allagash, and yeah. um, but but yeah, I you know I used to have a trading partner, and he always laughed because I would send him like you know at the time when Crooked Stave was a very like get, which mm-hmm. just meant that I had to uh, leave the pub to go on a bank <laughs> run uh, and drive up to 52nd and Pecos and just see what they had and buy it and, <laughs> you know, come back. I would have them send me a 12 auto shipper, and it was a split between Le, Pe- uh, Le Petit Prince That's and Mad Meg. Yeah. And that was it. And he's like, you just want table beers? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's, that's what I want. Like, uh, the 2013 uh, uh, Red Sox World Series, I, I drank, like, Probably 16 bottles of La Petite Prince <laughs> throughout the entire uh, World Series. It's, I mean, it's such an easy drinking beer, but it's the flavor is just phenomenal. <laughs> it's like 3%. Yep. It's great. Oh, it's incredible. Awesome. That's, so, you know, you talked about wild ales. That was something that you loved to brew. Like, that's one thing that when I think about... Nebraska brewery breweries. Mm-hmm. We don't have a whole lot of wild ales. Uh, yeah, I, you know, and I think that that's maybe a, a, a reflection of like some really good ones being put out in the market. And like, there are people here who get excited about them, but it, it's uh, it, it doesn't have that broad appeal, you know. And it's a slower cook. I mean, when we've released, uh, you know, Nora Colette. Uh, we had like 500 bottles, and you know, if we had 500 bottles of a barrel aged stout, like, boom, it's gone. Hour, if that. Uh, I, I probably have 200 of them still sitting at the brewery a month later. Um, you know, um, Toisserie that we did kind of a similar thing, like, just kind of a slow cook. Um, and, and, you know, even going back to, um, you know, Nebraska Brewing when they, when, when they were releasing. Uh, a lot of those barrel-aged saisons, like, they're always available on the shelves. I, I think there's some really good ones made, and I think that there's some consumers who really enjoy them here, but it's hard to, um, well, A, it's, it's hard to scale up to meet demand with something that is, like, when we, when we screwed around with Nora Collette, like, that was two days uh, after it, just burning everything that we touched out, sanitizing it, like mixing up hypochlorite, spraying down every floor with acidified bleach, like full-on crime scene cleanup. Yeah. And, you know, every every tank is spunded, nothing can be open, and, and so I think that, that that's a big part of it. Like, um, Do you just have so much risk infecting everything else that you're... Yeah. You almost need your uh, its own facility. 
So what are like zip lines doing in Omaha? You, you know about that, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm excited for that. But yeah, I, I think uh, I, I think that, and I think if if uh, it starts reaching a broader demand, I mean, like, for God's sakes, there's there's Drayfontaine food and sour still sitting on the shelves in Lincoln. I know, it's ridiculous. Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I have more room in my, my cellar for them, but I'd be the only person that has them, I think, if I just... <laughs> it's just... It, it's... I, I mean, it's amazing, and and uh, and so I think you know, like, there's definitely a market for it here, and I think that it's growing. And give it a couple of years, and I think once once the demand reaches a point in which brewers can justify a the risk, but b you know the effort, yeah, and, and then um, also you know as things uh, become more on trend, it forces us to start dabbling a little bit more which when you dabble you improve sure um so i think that they they, they're only going to get better um so yeah i I, you know so once people are done with hazy ipas (laughs) we can all agree (laughs) that we're going to go on barrel aged fruited wild ales i i don't know that the the hazy ipa thing is going to go away And, and the reason that i say that is i'm as curmudgeonly as it gets when it comes to style it's such they're, an easy drink. They're you know. delicious. <laughs> yeah. Like, like what's to hate? They're delicious. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't hate them the first time I had Abner, and I guess that sort of fits in, the, you know, like, yeah. I, like I used to get, you know, I used to trade for Hill Farmstead IPAs all the time because, like, they're delicious. And oh, now yeah. you can get them that are not 3,000 miles or 2,000 no, miles You can get them in Omaha from uh, Cross Train, or you can exactly. get and all from White Elm. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... All right, I think we're we'll uh, we'll get you out of here. We're about an hour and a half in, and cool. that's a, that's a good uh, good listen, Mark. So, cool. Um, r- let me let me finish this real quick. <laughs> oh, it's so good. That was in the last drink of Champarado 2019, and uh, I want to thank Colby Wood, the the brewmaster and owner of White Elm Brewing, coming. Uh, coming into my humble horror man cave down here <laughs> yeah no I, I appreciate you having me Dane I, I mean like you should warn people it's fucking terrifying <laughs> like a little heads up that there's like uh, yeah. I, the first thing I saw was what I'm assuming you mitigated from somebody's attic no that's a beaver oh that's a beaver yeah oh. it's, a, it's a beaver pelt down here okay so it was a 75 pound beaver I have a beaver hat do you I do real beaver yeah, it is. Yeah. It's the softest fur you've ever felt. It is. So my it's waterproof, too. My, my 81-year-old father gave it to me, and they're, like, full-on, like, Davy Crockett hats. Yeah. And he was telling me this in front of my wife. He's like, you've never felt anything soft as Shorn Beaver. <laughs> and, like, she and I are, like, under the table, like, slapping each other's legs, like, keep going, keep going. Yeah, not too many people have beaver pelts. Just, uh, <laughs> it's, it's more of a rug. Yeah. He, he's uh, he's about ten pounds shy of what they call a, a blanket size beaver. This is just a rug <laughs> size beaver. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's kind of a crude setup down here. Hopefully, at some point I think I'm gonna put a bar like up here, and we can sit on bar stools and and not uh, on metal chairs. But I, I think it's very professional. Like I. I I'm not joking. You have fixed mics, and I you do. have a mix board. I do, yeah. Like, 
I keep I keep saying every time I do these I say I'm a I have another smaller setup that I want to bring on the road and uh, just maybe set up at a brewery or, or some of these craft beer bars and and do some interviews and just kind of talk to people that are out there. I'm going to do that at some point. Can you do a live podcast from Chomperado Day? Like, well, I mean, I could. I don't know if it would be live. I couldn't, like, broadcast. I mean, I could broadcast it in there, but I couldn't live stream. Yeah, that would be difficult. But I could do it, yes. I think you need to live stream it. I should do that. That would be fantastic. I think it's ugly. I, I know. I'm usually... Don't listen to this LPD, but I might be drinking beers in the parking lot. But <laughs> so we're, we're actually working on that. Um, Are we gonna zone off some some parking lot sites? Well, uh, we we can't do that through SDL, but what we can do is have people in the back. The problem is, um, the LPD is great with it. The NLCC is not mm-hmm. because of the co-mingling of taxed and untaxed beer. So we're actually trying to work on potentially having the line come through the back, back door, so that there can be a bottle share like in the back brew house area before the thing starts. However, it's a matter of securing a a very clear line of demarcation between taxed and untaxed product. Sure. Either way, I'll probably be drinking beer there before you open. I didn't hear that. <laughs> But so, all right. If you're listening to this, January 26, uh, was that uh, two Saturdays from? Oh, we're like ten days away. Eleven oh, days shit. away. Yeah, it's the fifteenth. So yeah, two Saturdays, not this weekend, but next weekend. Correct. This is gonna go live tomorrow. So uh, be there at White Elm Brewing, Seventh and Van Dorn, uh, same building that has like a CrossFit and like. White Castle Roofing and Dance Place or something like that. White Castle Moo. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. That spot's open. We have a Linex bedline. Linex is right next door. CrossFit Lincoln. There's a dance place at the end of the... Starstruck Academy is at the end of the building, yep. We have the Woolly Mammoth and and, uh, Sabertooth Tiger billboard um, that's in our back that we're obstructing with our uh, grain uh, silo. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be a phenomenal time. You'll be able to drink the beer that I just finished, a delicious crawler of. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for bringing that beer. Yeah, it's of course. One of my favorite favorite beers of all time. So, um, If you are listening to this and want to know how to listen to other Fridge Guys podcasts, um, coming down the pike, I'm actually going to have my own website here pretty soon, but... Um, threebeerslater.com is, w- is where you can find this. Mark and Connor um, from Three Beers Later have been so graciously hosting this for me. But uh, pretty soon you'll probably find fridgeguys.beer. Oh. I'm going to get a dot .beer website. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't even know it was a thing until recently. Wow. So, uh, so look for on my Twitter or uh, Instagram. Um, it'll be out there. Um, Other than that, uh, keep on drinking, and uh, we'll see you guys soon.